1: Welding instructor
2: Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like Forge FX help students master their skills.
1: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory
2: that they need. Learn more at meta.com/slash metaverse impact.
3: This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. It's nighttime in the USA. A DOJ casually sends out 40 subpoenas. A former president sneaks back at the town, wearing golf shoes and going to a golf course, but not bringing any clubs. This is Progress After Dark, featuring Chris Houseelt, Thea Harper, myself, John Fugelsang, and special guest, author Sarah Kenzior. 57 Days. Until Election Day 2022. So let's enjoy it. Let's stay sane together. Let's make sense out of all this mishagas Let's shut down the gas lighting and let's have fun doing it. Our number is 866-997-GRIT. Hello to all of our live listeners who enjoy us every evening. Our entire evil army of the night. We love you and are glad to have you with us. Hello to all the daywalkers who listen on the podcast. Or listened on the On Demand or on the uh, Sirius XM app. Love to all of you. It's great to have you back. Thank you to everyone who came out to Washington, D.C. this weekend. We had such a great show. Jamie Raskin, the heroic congressman from Maryland, was our surprise guest. He joined us for the panel, as did stephanie miller and hal sparks it was a great great show but getting jamie raskin there was really special we wanted to announce him like weeks in advance but we didn't know until the very end if uh he'd actually show up and because they're on recess he didn't have to let me tell you something that jamie raskin uh classy guy really nice compassionate good in front of a crowd too we were also blessed to have the amazing glenn Kirschner. Join us for the show as well. And man, thank you to a fantastic audience in Washington, D.C. Guys, I was so tired. I, I it was long Amtrak. Y'all made it so much fun. We cannot wait to go to the next show, which will be in Chicago Saturday, the 24th. Our special guest for that one will include Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky um, and other special guests. I am not. I think Jill Weinbanks as well is going to join us and some other friends I can't announce just yet. That's going to be uh, with Frangela joining um, Hal Sparks, Stephanie Miller and and me for the Save Democracy Sexy Liberal Comedy Tour at sexyliberal.com, whatever it is we're calling it. So thank you to everyone for coming out. It was so good to be back. What a trip. I was in our nation's capital for like 12 hours. Like I got in, went to the hotel, had a nap, thought dinner. Now let's just do the show. There'll, there'll, there'll be a pizza place nearby. I can grab a snack. That's not how DC's laid out. But uh, the audience was great. It was very late night with the meet and greet and uh, really thrilled to be back in New York as we have a crazy week coming up here. Ken Burns will return for a very special town hall event we're recording this week for his new film, which is called The U.S. and the Holocaust. Guys, first off, I don't know if you know this, but Ken Burns knows how to make a damn movie. And uh, he's done our show a couple times in the past. He did it for his excellent documentary on muhammad ali he was here for his excellent documentary on ben franklin i i've seen most of ken burns films he's one of our greatest filmmakers nothing prepared me for the power of this movie i mean you've probably seen a hundred holocaust documentaries but this is a film all about america and the holocaust and what america was doing about it what america wasn't doing about it it's insane it's a it's a great film i can't wait to have uh ken back also julian Lennon returns to the show this week he has a wonderful new album out we're really happy to have him back and of course all of our regulars all of our comics all of our riffraff let's get to it donald trump isn't going away okay guys i had a big fight with glenn kirchner backstage we made a hundred dollar bet i said donald trump will will suffer the rest of his life but he'll never see the inside of a prison I've never made a bet that I'd like to lose more. I, I hope I lose. I will be so happy, friends, if a year from now, two years from now, I announce that I have just given 100 bucks to Glenn Carster. I'll be thrilled. It's not that I'm cynical. I, I, I don't care. I don't need him to go to jail. I just don't need him to be in power anymore. My question is not, when's he going to go to jail? My only concern with Donald Trump, the extent of his value to my heart is how can we use this guy to kneecap the Republican Party? How can we help Democrats get a greater lead in the House and Senate via Donald Trump? How can we use Donald Trump against the party that has cynically used him? That's the concern to me. He's going to be miserable the rest of his life. I'm going to prove that in a minute. But in the meantime, I don't attach any emotional significance to an outcome over whether he's in jail or not. If he's in jail, uh, terrific, great. But Trump's only the hood ornament on the car. Okay, he's evil. He's awful. But if we focus all of it, we did this with Bush. We did it with Bush. We focused all the evil on Bush and Cheney, and then Bush and Cheney left. In early 2009, they went away, and we forgot about them, and their entire apparatus stayed in Washington, D.C., and made life hell for Barack Obama, tried to block reform as fiercely as they could, and then put Donald Trump in power and fucked the whole economy up again, just like they did under Bush Cheney. So, I, look, the president's important, yes, but guys, it's, the evil is much bigger than just Donald Trump. So, I'd love to see him in jail. In the meantime, I'm going to get my karmic satisfaction from watching this guy just shove money into a furnace in the form of lousy lawyers. And again, you know, it it doesn't matter what's going on in the news. It's always going to be about Trump. There's so much going on right now. And American news is just going to focus on Donald Trump, no matter what, no matter what happens. Now, the right wing trolls will say, oh, I say you liberals, Trump's out of office, but he lives rent free in your head. (laughs) No douchebag. He lives rent free in your heart and your soul. The media is going to cover Donald Trump because of hate watching. And you know what? I'm okay with it. You're going to get nothing but Trump, and that's good. I say we are 57 days away from the midterms. Make this election all about Trump, because it is all about Trump. It's about fascism, and I say let his bloated, hideous, spray-tanned face with his repulsive, anus-like lips be the face of the movement. He's earned it, and more importantly, the Republican Party deserves to be associated with Donald Trump. Now, here's here's what a president did today. 60 years to the day after John F. Kennedy's speech vowing to land astronauts on the moon. Joe Biden urged Americans to rally around the moonshot that he's been talking about for about for quite a while. A national purpose. Which for Joe Biden is ending cancer as we know it. Give a quick listen
0: setting a long-term goal for the Cancer Moonshot to rally America and ingenuity that we can engage, like we did to reach the Moon, that actually cures cancers. Not all cancers, cancers. Cures for cancers once and for all. And a critical way to do that is that going through what I call ARPA-H, Advanced Research Projects, Agencies for Health, It's based on DARPA, the Defense Department's Advanced Research Projects Agency, that has helped lead to breakthroughs in technologies to protect our national security, like the Internet, GPS, and so much more. ARPA-H will have the singular purpose to drive breakthroughs to prevent, detect, and treat diseases, including cancer, Alzheimer's, diabetes, and other diseases, and enable us to live healthier lives. So logically, the question is, why wasn't Trump invited to the Queen's funeral?
3: <laughs> I mean, that's all we're hearing. Joe Biden is literally trying to use the bully pulpit of the presidency to get people on the left and the right behind something that everyone on the left and the right should get behind that, that conceivably we all could get behind using some of our resources to try to fight cancer. I mean, why not? Why haven't we prioritized it? We were able to get rid of smallpox, almost, maybe. Mm-hmm. Why not? I mean, to me, everyone you know, of, regardless of their ideology, has loved someone who's been taken from us. So the media is talking about Trump and his golf course and his secret trip to D.C. And why wasn't he invited to the funeral? Oh, my God. I've heard this all over the place. The U.K. is asking foreign leaders who are coming to the funeral to try to travel on commercial planes and take buses together from London to the funeral, right? I know. Imagine the U.S. president and his entourage on a bus. The Bidens, however, look to be the only American leaders who have been invited. Other former presidents were not invited either. Um, They're all going to be hosted by King Charles III at Buckingham Palace at a reception the evening before. And I honestly I, I get it <laughs> I, I respect that people care a lot about the queen god bless her you know I defended her a lot last week I, I criticized where it was fair the wealth is pillage the wealth is looting but she was not a colonizer she oversaw the decolonization and um so having said that the coverage is going to stay crazy for a few more weeks this is Jake Tapper on CNN this is on Friday and Jake Tapper because well his company seems to have been taken over in a merger, and he has new bosses who are demanding they blue tell the truth and uh, that they I, I guess engage in both sidesisms because that always helps so well for ratings. You know every four or five years, CNN really tries hard to chase the Fox News audience, and it always fails here 's Jake Tapper at his panel last week saying, well well wouldn 't it be nice if Biden brought Trump along to the funeral? Give a listen
1: there 's something that is just like fascinating me, which is the notion that it 's going to be basically left up to President Biden as to whether or not he brings other presidents with him to the Queen's funeral. I mean, the, 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 the U.K. has made it very clear that's up to the president. He's invited and he can bring whatever delegation. So obviously, Obama, you know, Carter,
3: uh, Bush, no brainers. What? what about trump will he invite trump we'll see i mean that is a difficult uh, question of protocol of diplomacy but i am told by a couple of diplomatic officials that uh look that the uh buckingham palace is leaving it up to every country individually i mean imagine the nightmare of trying to do former presidents and former you know defense ministers but in the In this case, it would be an easy solution if Trump wasn't in the picture. We'll see what they do. President Obama, when he was in office, he invited President Bush, President Clinton, President Carter to go with him to Nelson Mandela's funeral as part of the the delegation. So there is protocol for having U.S. presidents invite other presidents. Who knows? Maybe in the spirit of... uh, of uh, forgiving and giving uh, President Biden will invite uh, Donald uh, Trump on the Air Force One. I doubt that will happen, but I do expect oh some type of a bipartisan delegation. But look, they are leaving it to the White mm. House, we're told. The White House is saying we're not going to say anything about this until the palace makes funeral arrangements. But by Monday, uh, they're going to have to figure this out because the funeral time will be announced tomorrow. Morning. See, I think, Asmene, I,
0: I think that the, the, <laughs> that the, the clever move is to invite him yes. and then see if he goes and see if he goes. I don't think President Trump, former President Trump, would want to be
3: subordinate on Air Force One. And I think probably he prefers his own plane anyway. Well, what do you think? I okay. think that's probably true. So, you know, like, like, uh, again, again, just as CNN will, just as New York Times will always run articles saying we need to do more to understand the feelings and the thoughts and the thought processes behind Trump voters CNN will always say, "Well, should we be more ni- shouldn't Biden be more nice to Trump? You know to engender t- good blood? Now, of course, who, who that hates Joe Biden now will hate him any less because he offered Donald Trump a ride on Air Force One. Let's look at the reality here. Um, it's not up to Joe Biden whether he can bring Donald Trump to the funeral. Donald Trump has not been invited. Pointedly, only current world leaders are invited. I would not be surprised. If Buckingham Palace had decided to not invite any former American presidents just because they knew they could not invite Trump, nor should they. I'm a little shocked, just a little shocked at the amnesia in some of our media. I expect it from the Trump supporters. I mean, (laughs) my God, the people just saying, oh, what a disgrace that Trump wasn't invited. There's I I had one guy on Twitter. There's no reason why former President Trump should not be an honored guest at the Queen's funeral. He displayed great respect for the UK and monarchy. Well, let's talk about that, shall we? Let's go back to, uh, I don't know, uh, a couple months ago in April of this year. He was talking with our good Fred Piers Morgan, and uh, he, he said, I won't use the full expression, but Harry is whipped like no person I think I've ever seen. I'm not a fan of Meghan, I'm not a fan, and I wasn't right from the beginning. I think poor Harry is being led around by his nose. He's calling Prince Harry pussy whipped. And people are wondering why he wasn't invited to the funeral. Let's go back in time. Way back. Ten years. 2012. Back when Donald Trump was just a grotesque landlord heckling Barack Obama. Um, he said in 2012 about Kate Middleton, he tweeted, Who wouldn't take Kate's picture and make lots of money if she does the nude sunbathing thing? Come on, Kate. And today they're wondering why he wasn't invited to the funeral and why can't mean old Joe Biden offer him a lift on Air Force One. The royal family doesn't want him there. That's why media whip your whataboutisms isms. They don't want him there because now I'll take you back. Not a few months, not 10 years, 25 years ago, 1997, when Donald Trump was on Howard's show. You know what I'm going to talk about. They were talking about Princess Diana. This is before she died. And Donald Trump said he could have nailed her. He could. He didn't have sex with her, but he bragged he could have could have nailed her. And then in that same interview, he said he would only have sex with Princess Diana if she had passed an HIV test. You're wondering why Charles, William and Harry wouldn't want this loathsome grotesque to be at the funeral of the queen. But again, all of that talk about Trump can't come to the funeral, that got more coverage than Biden's speech on cancer. And it got more coverage from the Justice Department issuing about 40 subpoenas in the last week, seeking information about Trump and his associates regarding the 2020 election and the January 6, 2021 attack. Forty subpoenas in the last week, including our good friend Boris Epstein. Chris, you have some experience with Boris. I know he did uh, your previous show on the old channel many times. I've worked with Boris quite a bit. Charming, was, lovely guy. Well, uh, oh,
1: he's such an affable punching
3: bag. Always. Uh, you know what? I have respect about Boris. He's, he's not a moron. He, in, in many ways, it's infuriating because he's smart enough to know better. But he's going to argue for evil people no matter what. And then he'll like kind of look at you when the camera's off of the break and act cool. And he's a charming fella. Smart fella. Uh, fascist. <laughs> and I say that with all respect, this is a huge escalation of the investigation in, into what happened. Stephen Miller has been subpoenaed in this probe. yes. Former senior White House adviser Stephen Miller and former White House political director Brian Jack were also subpoenaed, looking at the uh, Trump Super PAC he made right after the 2020 election, which, of course, he's been using to uh, well pay his bills, pretending it's about stopping the steal. They're all looking into the fake elector scheme, but they actually had to serve. And it was awkward to serve Stephen Miller a subpoena because he had to find him, and he was you know sleeping, which he does in a cave upside down, or in a belfry. And um, he's hard to pin down because it was also time to feed. Also, Dan Scavino, Trump's former social media director, who was once a flunky working at one of Trump's golf courses, who sucked up enough that Trump promoted him to a White House job. And he's still Trump's advisor. He's been subpoenaed. Uh, Justice Department also gave search warrants to seize electronic devices from people involved in the fake electors scam in the swing states, including Boris Epstein. They took their phones. You know who else? You know who else got subpoenaed good friend of the show former new york city police commissioner uh, and former convict bernard carrick when he did the show i'll never forget he, he came on to talk about going from being the chief of police to living in jail and jorge at the time thought it would be a good idea to play uh johnny cash's "Folsom prison blues as an intro song i i would uh, w- my god jorge why now bernie carrick of course was pushing all these lies about voter fraud alongside Giuliani, who also got a subpoena. Um, These subpoenas are all seeking information with the plan to submit slates of electors pledged to Trump from swing states, even though Biden won. That was the whole scam. Well, Biden won this state. But hey, Electoral College, what if we just uh, appoint these people to say they choose Biden and we can completely get around the will of the people? Why is this important? Because they're going to be trying to do it in lots and lots of red and purple states, and they all want to know about Trump's pack, the Save America pack, which is how he rips people off right now. And also today we learned after he lost the election, Trump was telling his aides that he would just not leave the White House. How do we know this? Maggie Haberman has a new book, Confidence Man, uh, where she writes that in the immediate aftermath of the elections, Trump seemed to recognize he had lost, and he asked his advisors to tell him what had gone wrong, but at some point he just told his aides he wasn't ever going to leave wasn't ever going to he was walking around the White House saying he would never leave. And God bless Maggie Haberman for not telling us that at the time and waiting to sell a book. (laughs) Again, it's going to be all Trump, guys, and it's okay. Keep the corruption front and center. And of course, the media was all over the trip to D.C. today. Why was Trump flying into Dallas Airport? in his golf shoes happened last night no one knew it it was unannounced it was very low-key it was captured by a youtuber named andrew laden and people were all over social media when i woke up today oh he's stealing more documents or he's turning himself in or just all rumors i mean rick wilson was no no one knew what he was doing then later we saw him playing around at his golf course and they thought oh that's it but then it turned out he didn't have any golf clubs in his hands have you seen the photos They're going around the golf course Donald Trump and a bunch of guys who have been reported as being a bunch of Republican insiders Including Kevin McCarthy and Sean Hannity. I looked at the pictures I couldn't see that what I could see and it's fascinating guys go Google Trump golf course right now and just see the pictures that happened today It's Donald Trump and like a dozen white guys including his son Eric walking around a golf course That's it. They're just walking around. They're driving carts. They're going out to the middle of a green far away from any cameras that could read their lips or hear them They don't have golf clubs. They don't have golf bags. They don't have caddies. They're just Trump flew to hang out with a bunch of guys on a golf course and have a meeting. So (laughs) it's gonna be very interesting. There's a lot we don't know yet. There's a lot we'll never know. What we do know are the polls. J.D. Vance right now is leading Tim Ryan by one point in Ohio, 47 to 46%. Wow. J.D. Vance is the guy who wants to ban porn, folks. Wants to ban porn. Uh, If J.D. Vance doesn't want people watching porn, he should appear in it. Also, a survey conducted by Trump's pollster, Tony Fabrizio, and Biden's pollster, John Anzalone for AARP, found Marco Rubio is now in a statistical tie with Val Demings in the state of Florida, 49 to 47 percent. But Rubio's unfavorables are much higher. And the same survey found Ron DeSantis and Charlie Crist also within the margin of error, 50 to 47 percent. And the Democratic base is fired up. In last month's primaries, more Democrats showed up to vote for governor, one and a half million, than in the blue wave year of 2018. Which brings us back to Joe Biden. He's getting stuff passed. He's out there campaigning. Numbers are getting better. And of course, he's trying to cure cancer while Donald Trump is sneaking around a golf course. Here's Biden further describing that he will use the powers of his office to aid in the search for cancer
0: cures. As part of the Supercharged Moonshot, I'll use my authorities as president to increase funding to break log jams into speed breakthroughs. I've also formed a new cancer cabinet that is driving a whole-of-government effort to unleash every possible asset within our power, from NASA, that knows more about radiation than any doctor does, to the Defense Department, That has the ability to calculate an energy department do a million billion calculations per second. Health and Human Services. Secretary Becerra plays a key role in the cancer cabinet, as does Marty Walsh, a child of cancer survivor who is committed to helping Americans get time off for cancer screenings or care for a loved one. But Donald
3: Trump's upset that he didn't get invited to a funeral by a family he spent a quarter of a century Talking shit about.
4: VR training
2: platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory
3: starts to develop.
2: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
3: As
1: you write your life story, you're far from finished.
3: I'm John saying This is SiriusXM Progress. I want to I wanna play a, a quick little clip. This is Chuck Todd. I know, not to brag. Chuck Todd on Meet the Press. Uh, he had Kamala Harris on as a guest, and he decided to ask her, hey, are these Democrats making a mistake? by backing all these fringe, right-wing, crazy Republican candidates in primaries because they think the crazy ones will be easier to beat? Give a listen.
1: Should you leave the good Republicans alone in a primary? Should Is the, is the Democratic Party making a mistake here by, by, you know, those people could win if you're not careful.
2: I mean, listen, I'm not going to... Tell people how to run their campaigns. Uh, you know, I, I ran in terms of statewide
0: office. Would you have I done
1: ran, this? So I ran, would you have done this? Is this in your? Is this something I, you'd be? I'm comfortable not
2: going to tell people how to run their campaigns, Chuck. I ran for a statewide for attorney general mm-hmm. re-election. Won both times for Senate. Won that race, and I know that it is best to 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 let a candidate along with their their advisors. Let them make the decision based on what they believe is in the best interest of their state. I'm not going to tell people what you're to not do that worried way. that this
1: reflects poorly on the Democrats.
2: I think that what we have to focus on is that in 60 days as of this interview, mm-hmm. in less than two months,
1: we are looking at a midterm election in which so much is on the line.
3: Indeed. So can much. I, yes, Chris, please.
1: Can I just offer up some thoughts about that clip? Yeah, please. Well, for one... Please, go ahead. I know. But, like, for one, Madam Vice President, it wasn't, like, individual campaigns. I mean, we it was well known that, like, super PACs, like Nancy Pelosi's super PAC, like, national efforts were were buying, you know, backing these fringe candidates on the Republican side. So that's not just, like, the local campaign director being like, hey, I got myself a crazy idea. This is coming from the head office.
3: Yeah. And number two and by the way there's a lot of money spent on a lot of research to indicate these results and generally speaking it works the only time i can think when it really backfired was uh i don't know donald trump over jeb bush but go ahead
1: number two what a pompous (laughs) baseless origin for a question anyway chuck todd oh don't don't you think don't you think You know, if the president says that there's some good Republicans out there, don't you think the Democrats should be acknowledging these great Republicans and supporting them and helping them run for office? Like, what is, what are you thinking? (laughs) Like, these guys, they just, just take, just take a second.
3: I know, and then you hear Chuck, and then you hear Chuck talking about how awful these right-wing Republicans are. He just said it to Kamala Harris in the interview, you know, some of these guys might win. Okay, that's the real tell. That's Chuck acknowledging how awful these human beings are, dropping any pretense of, you know, uh, fair and biased. He's letting you know how awful these far right wing French candidates are. But again, you got to chase the Fox demographic. They have to because the media is not liberal. The media is terrified of being called liberal. And that's why we're witnessing CNN. Do what it's doing. That's why we played that clip of Jake Tapper earlier. I mean, this is what makes Chuck Todd infuriate so many people. It's like everyone is biased. There are no journalists who are not biased, no matter what. (laughs) There are no teachers. There are no clergy. There is no one who's not biased. So instead of pretending you're not or just bending over backwards to try to placate Republicans who are never going to watch your show anyway. I mean, just be who you are. Don't pretend you're something you're not. But be tough on both sides. Ask the right questions and make Republicans respect you enough that they will watch your show. I think Republicans don't watch Meet the Press for the same reasons liberals don't watch it. You know. That's just me. I could be wrong. Rachel Maddow should host that show. Okay, let's take our break. When we return, the amazing Sarah Kenzior is back. Don't go away. Welcome back. What is a conspiracy theory? I mean, we throw this word around a lot. In our political discourse in our media life. Our next guest says conspiracy theories are the midway point to truth, the fork in the road between enlightenment and delusion. Conspiracy theories are what you end up with when people bury past sins and build over the graves. And one day, somebody finds bones in the earth. She also says the collapse of democracy, rule of law and climate at once leaves us with one lesson. The truth may hurt, but the lies will kill you. This next guest is one of our favorite writers, and she has written a book about lies that is so full of truth. I wish we could give it to every American to read. Sarah Kenzior is, of course, the great St. Louis-based writer and journalist you've read in the Daily Mail and the Globe, and she's the one who's been right about pretty much everything. She's often credited with predicting the rise of Trump. Her book, Hiding in Plain Sight, was a terrific and terrifying look at how Trump found himself in the Oval Office after decades in pop culture and business sewers. But her newest book is They Knew, How a Culture of Conspiracy Keeps America Complacent. And in it, she traces a broader conspiracy culture that's not just the last few months, not just the age of the Internet, but throughout all of American history and how it's tied in to a declining us that's struggling with climate that's struggling with dramatically uneven income growth and economic injustice corruption guys like jeffrey epstein and in a world like this with so much bleakness it's not surprising that some people on the gullible side turn to conspiracy theories to fill the informational void it is always a great pleasure to welcome the great sarah Kenzieor back to the show hello
2: Hey, well, thank you for having me.
3: It's great to see you. Thank you so much. Um, I have so many questions about this book. I mean, I love your writing, but this is amazing. You wrote a book about just all the malfeasance and how it all ties together. And it really does. Uh, Before I even jump into the the content, uh, this was done. This was your gift to us from the pandemic. You spent the darkest parts of lockdown going into the darkest hearts of the most evil men in this country
2: yeah it was a tough book to write in that sense because when i started it in 2021 you know we'd already been dealing with a pandemic for um you know about a year um and i was at that same sort of place i think a lot of people hit that pandemic wall um and so it took a little bit to get started but once they did it all kind of poured out um you know it, it's not a trump book as you said it's it's about a lot more than him um and it's also about you know, a lot of the frustrations I had uh, writing my previous book, Hiding in Plain Sight, and then some of the reaction to it, I felt like we were dealing with two things. We were dealing with actual criminal conspiracies by state actors, non-state actors, just in, intense corruption and actual plots. Like, for example, the January 6th attack, that was an organized conspiracy. That was the plot. Like, I don't think anybody's right. going to uh, deny that. And then we were dealing with the stigma and the denial when people would actually raise evidence of those plots to light, even when that evidence was in the public domain, even when it was confessed by the perpetrators. If you would talk about it, you would be viewed with just incredible skepticism, labeled an alarmist, a hysterical, I mean, a a hysteric or a conspiracy theorist. And I just started thinking about that word a lot and thinking, well, what do we do when we have these actual Documented conspiracies. We have partial evidence. We don't have the full story. But, you know, what a thinking, logical person would do is come up with a theory, a theory about the conspiracy. And I just kind of wanted to destigmatize that word so that we can have a conversation, a serious one, about corruption and the suffering and trauma that it's caused the American public.
3: And how very often leaving those Americans to, shall we say, connect the dots on things. Uh, is destructive by design? How do you define this term conspiracy theory that has, of course, been abused and and tossed around so much?
2: I I see conspiracy theory as a neutral term. It depends who is approaching the conspiracy, whether they're doing it, out of bad faith, whether they are a propagandist, whether they're making things up, whether they're inserting themselves, um, you know, into a pre-existing situation in order to distract people from the truth. Someone like Alex Jones, obviously, I think, is one of the more extreme and dangerous and malevolent actors in that respect. He's a propagandist. He's a propagandist yes. masking as somebody who investigates um, conspiracies. And there are people, and this is unfortunately become to some extent, the burden of the American people, because our um, agencies of accountability have not been rising to the occasion. Who genuinely are asking questions? Who are doing investigative journalism? Who are you know lawyers trying to figure out what's going on with um, you know the justice system? We've been left to our own devices. We've been abandoned. I think collectively as a society by the investigatory bodies. You know the various probes that. Fall apartment way, the various uh, hearings that are not held, the subpoenas that are not answered, so on and so forth. And so, yeah, of course, people go looking, uh, you know, for the truth and for the for answers. And you know what I do, and you know, part of this is just my academic background. Is I del- I delve deep into history, and because we have a gerontocracy, there's a lot of history <laughs> uh, to delve into. You could just pick one of these individuals, you know, um, these kind of multi-decade actors, you know, Roger Stone, Paul Manafort, Bill Barr, uh, and yeah. you will find a multitude of actual conspiracies, ones that were buried and hidden and obfuscated intentionally. And you will find often right. uh, recurring players. And I think this is a big deal. And it's very strange to me that our pundit class seems to suffer from selective amnesia. And when Thank one you. of these individuals re-enters the public sphere, even though you know some of this information is not hard to find at all, it's like on Wikipedia. Uh, you know, you can get a basic kind of background but on somebody who's like a no- notorious um, liar or cover-up artist, somebody like Stone or Barr, and yep. they just go in as if these horrible individuals are deserving of uh. um, you know good faith that, that they absolutely do not deserve. And they kind of did the same for Trump. As well, in 2015, 2016, they didn't praise him as some sort of hero, but they acted as as if his ties to organized crime, his long history of financial disasters, his ties to people like Jeffrey Epstein, as if that yep. hadn't already been documented, when, of course, it had. It was stuff I learned about when I was, you know, seven or eight years old. And I'm kind of thinking, how how did you all suddenly forget this, oh, you know?
3: so true. If you knew, Sarah, how many times— I've had Roger Stone pitch to me as a guest for this show. And I always went back every time, always went back every time saying if it could (sighs) be in, I said I would do it in person it have to be face to face. I'm not going to have him on the phone to come and gish gallop uh, mm-hmm. his way through because it, that's how it is. They, they now call it flooding the zone. Just put as much yes. bullshit out there as possible. And, you know, I mean, we saw Mitt Romney do it in the first Obama debate while well, Obama was correcting lie number five, Mitt had told lie number seven. Mm-hmm. And it's telling to me that you mentioned Alex Jones because he's actually a very rare example of accountability. For this sort of thing yeah i'm thinking birtherism yeah, it, birtherism it, it's a no burgeoning kind of
2: account. accountability you know that i hope is more broadly applied and i hope what happens is that people see him for what he is you know it is a hateful liar a fraud um you know a deeply malevolent actor who hurt innocent families who, who targeted dead children like i don't know how much worse you can get as a human being. And then what he has done though, what he did with his show, is that occasionally, you know, he would touch on actual conspiracies or topics that are still not um, completely fleshed out, acts of state corruption that I truly don't think we have all the answers to. And I think because he got some credibility by challenging authority in that way, he then used that platform to lure people in and pass off propaganda as fact and you know, capitalize on a culture of distrust. And I'm part of that culture of distrust. I also don't distru- you know, I don't trust our officials, I don't trust no. our institutions. I think my distrust is merited, but he exploits that. He exploits, he exploits that incredible pain I think that americans are facing after so many disasters just within um you know this century alone the financial collapse you know the election of trump covid uh you know the all of the various uh political controversies and lack of yep. accountability that have come in its wake um so yeah he's dangerous and i'm glad for the families you know of Sandy up that at least they're seeing uh the beginning i think of justice at least in this one case
3: but is really shockingly true that Alex Jones's devoted listeners don't really care that he lied about this because lies that don't upset you are lies that don't upset you. And I'm thinking, Donald Trump, we knew that he committed fraud with Trump University. He stole from veterans and paid $26 million in education fraud. It just didn't bother a lot of Americans. And your book lays out all of these con men throughout history. Uh, And Trump is, of course, one of them. And it got me thinking, you know, going back to the origins of the country, of the slave owners who wanted to be free, the slave owners who didn't want to pay taxes because they wanted to uh, save money while they owned humans to do their work. Con men are woven into the fabric of this entire country's history. Are con men particularly American? I mean, are we more gullible than other nations historically? Why did they flourish here?
2: I don't think that it's a particularly American thing. You know, you see variations on this, I think, in every culture. Brascone, I don't think there's anywhere sure. in the in the world that's immune. What is rare, I think, is the idea of American exceptionalism and this idea that we don't fall for that and it can't happen here. And sort of that and the um, kind of toxic optimism of America. You know, they're in a, in the most positive manifestation it's this idea that you can come to America, reinvent yourself, shed your past in a voluntary way and you know, work your way up to the top. You know, that's the story of the American dream. And that's something that con men have always capitalized on. You know, they change yes. their names, they change their occupation, they come to you brimming with confidence when you're down on your luck and then they take whatever you have and they run. And I think The fact that we valorize both um, American exceptionalism and this kind of relentless optimism, this like, yes, this can be fixed. I'm not going to go into the details, but, you know, every problem can be solved by me, by me alone. You know, which, of course, um, also is is part of demagoguery, part of dictatorship, you know, the way in which I guess our con men operate is very American, but the phenomenon is universal, I think.
3: Yeah, and, and you go through some, I mean, everyone from Epstein to Oliver North is in this book, and then some from our history that I will admit, even as a history junkie, I, I didn't know. You you framed the book beautifully in some traveling that you did with your husband and kids, and in talking about staying in the hotel from The Shining, you unveiled the story of a gentleman named Norman Baker, who I am embarrassed to have never heard of before, but. Boy, what a you what a what a spectacular American figure he is. Can you can you briefly tell our listeners um, uh, who Norman Baker was and why you wanted to begin the book with this particular individual?
2: Yeah, just to clarify, you know, there is stuff about the hotel from The Shining in there. Um, the hotel with Norman Baker is the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. And this is a hotel that my family and I would stop in every year when we drive to Dallas to visit my sister for Christmas to kind of break up the drive. And it's known as the most haunted hotel in America. And the story behind it is incredibly gruesome um, because what it was was a cancer ward for a while run by a con artist named Norman Baker who had before that worked as a uh, radio host like a sort of like Rush Limbaugh uh, slash Alex Jones of his era of the 1920s and 1930s, you know, got people very hyped up and kept selling them uh, fake cures. For cancer. He was also a, a prominent anti vaxxer, you know, and he was a target of the American Medical Association who saw him as very dangerous. And so then he, he you know, he stepped it up by taking over uh, the Crescent Hotel, which by that point, you know, during the Great Depression it had fallen into ruin, saying it was a cancer ward um, and that he was going to cure people. And people would come there and they would take his fake cures and they would die. And they, you know, they would take the body parts, and you know, they buried them in the lawn. They really were accidentally uh, unearthed while they were trying to build an archery range. You know, confirming some of the, the mythology about him. But it's it's a genuinely creepy place. It's a beautiful town. I love the town of Eureka Springs. It's one of my favorite places to go. And you know, they they market this hotel like I'm not, you know, trashing them. They're very aware of this history, and they, you know, they say come see it and um, you know, see the hunting. I genuinely feel something there. I mean, I think it might just be the weight of history, like the knowledge that so many people had endured such an unspeakable tragedy there. But every time I was there, you know, and I stayed there maybe four or five times, I would think of Trump. And one of the reasons the book starts with this story, which was excerpted in Vanity Fair uh, last week, is because I was so sick of writing about Donald Trump. In 2021, like, I never wanted to do it again. Um, And unfortunately, yeah. I kind of had to discuss our political landscape. And I thought, well, you know, can I write a book about Trump? It doesn't mention Trump, like what kind of just kind of, as a writing exercise, how would that go? And then the story of Norman Baker came tumbling out. And then all these other, you know, sort of travel, you know, journey kind of things came out, that became the, the initial structure of the book. And I'm glad it starts that way because I feel like yeah. folks are very beaten down, you know, and I kind of wanted to like ease them into this dark discussion that's in the book and write it in a different style than I did um, with Hiding in Plain Sight, which is a real like, hey, everybody, like, you know, I'm going to hit you on the head with a ton of disturbing facts and we're all going to act on them. We're going to do something. There's going to be justice. And of course, there wasn't. Um, so, you know, I wanted this to be more uh, reflective and less, you know, less Trump-centered.
3: But but in, in a way, I mean, Trump is still just the hood ornament on the car. Anyhow, you know, mm-hmm. the, Trump is just he's a great jumping off point to talk about a lot of things. I have always felt he's a symptom of a problem. And we spend way too much time making him more important than he is rather than a symptom of something. And And as you say in the book. All the stuff that happened with Baker was during the Depression, all the all the hopelessness and terror and fear and poverty of the era. But you point out that around today with these recessions and a plague and climate catastrophe, you call it an epidemic of disillusionment and distrust. That's really the playing field that allows a lot of this to happen. Sarah, are are Americans especially gullible? You, you talk about how a week after the 2020 election, and this is what just kept me up all night, <laughs> Only three percent of the population, in in the second week of January 2021, only three percent of the pop or three percent of uh, after November 2020, mm-hmm. a week after Joe Biden won, only three percent of the population still believed Trump had won. Mm-hmm. But a year later, you write only fifty-eight percent of Americans and only twenty-one percent of Republicans still believed that Biden was the legitimate president. How in a year did we go from? believing it wasn't legit to 42% believing it wasn't legit.
2: Yeah, it's very disturbing. And I don't think we're particularly gullible. I think we're the targets of a massive propaganda operation. And I think also there hasn't been accountability for very serious crimes. And that confuses people. So, you know, on one hand, you have instantly you know the minute biden is proclaimed the president you have the right wing going into overdrive you know you have fox news you have all these websites you have trump going to court over and over and over again baselessly challenging the results you have the capital attack which again is like sort of a sign of the strength of belief like we really believe it was stolen and then they never let up you know trump got a little quieter in the beginning of 2021 but then the operation around him, the fraud in Arizona, all these things were happening. So to an, you know, an outside observer, they start thinking there must really be something up with this or these folks right? wouldn't be trying so hard. And then on the other side, we had a, an attack on the Capitol when we had an attempted coup and we had four years of this, you know, unfettered criminality from the Trump administration. So you think, OK, well, the DOJ is clearly going to hold these people accountable for all the crimes that they've confessed to and that we witnessed with our own eyes. And then they don't. And so folks start doubting their memory on that. And I think some of it is just an expectation that institutions would behave a certain way. But I think some of it is not wanting to deal with the fact that if they're not doing that, if they're not holding those actors accountable, it means we're in grave danger. And also that something is deeply wrong within the institution. And I think people just don't want to consider what that means, that the rescue crew may be in on the plot, or at least is not bothering to, uh, you know, do its job of protecting the public. That's very scary, because then you just think, well, where do I turn? You know, when will there be justice? Because these were all crimes that aired on television, that were plotted on the internet, that were confessed to um, in the cases of many of the people who did them, or they were indicted and then pardoned by Trump. Like, it's not Super mysterious here. Um, And so you wonder, you know, what what is preventing them uh, from acting? I think if the DOJ had acted, I think people would be more likely to accept Biden as the legitimate president. And obviously, I think they should accept him as the legitimate president. because There's no evidence that, you know, there was fraud um, in the election or that, you know, Biden stole it. But I think it's confusion more than gullibility that that's leading to this.
3: I think you're right, and a lot of it is just the fact that this is a working class that has been just beaten down. Minimum wage buying power is at its lowest level since the 1960s. That in many cases, these these right wing people, they're not bloodthirsty fascists. They are conservative loved ones. They are cousins and our uncles and our aunts. They've been getting their ass kicked for a while, and they have a steady diet of Fox News telling them who to blame, and it's mm-hmm. never the people who actually did it. But I, I think what what you're talking about is uh, a, a subject you cover in the book that I'd, I'd like to ask about, which is normalcy bias, something that uh, I wish more Americans could understand because it makes Trump's rise a a lot more, a a lot more comprehensible. I mean, what is normalcy bias and how did it help a demagogue like Donald Trump?
2: Yeah, I mean, it helps them as a demagogue, but even more so as a career criminal, you know, and it's basically um, the belief in this case that if something were truly wrong, If Trump were seriously a threat to national security, for example, surely someone would intervene. Surely people would see this, people in power, uh, you know, the FBI, the CIA, the Obama administration, I guess theoretically the Republican Party, although that, you know, that ship has long sailed. Um, you know, so, so somebody would jump in and stop this out of self interest, if nothing else, to protect the country that we all live in, if nothing else. And then they don't. And then I think people just don't know how to process that because their view of, you know, what are our institutions, what are our norms, has been completely obliterated. And then you have, of course, you know, Trump, the norm obliterator, and Bannon, the norm obliterator. Um, you know, creating propaganda, calling the shots. But yeah, it's very difficult. And you know, I talk about another sort of side to this uh, savior syndrome, which is what happens Please. when normalcy bias gives way, and you suddenly see these cults of personalities around politicians and um, you know, public servants. Some of whom are not, you know, demagogues uh, like Trump or people like Mueller or Fauci, you know, quiet individuals or, um, you know, people who have a kind of a reputation for being professional and calm. But they get these cults around them that I think are deeply unhealthy. People forget that, you know, these individuals exist to serve us. They are paid with our tax dollars. They are public servants. And instead, it's this sort of worshipful, oh, he'll fix it. Mulder right. will get him, Garland Always. will get him, Pelosi will get him, Fauci will solve COVID, blah, blah, blah. It, it's not working. This is not how it happens. But um, that cult mentality, I think, is easy for people to, to fall into and they're very traumatized and, and frightened. And it's the flip side, I think, of QAnon and, you know, conspiratorial savior syndrome type movements like that, that obviously are, are not... Based in reality in many of their claims, like, for example, the you know, JFK Jr. rising from the dead to become Trump's VP sort of uh, right. claims. But, you know, they're looking for a savior. They're looking for heroes. And it's because of this massive institutional failure that we see that happening across the aisle.
3: It's true. And you point out how some of these things are, you know, are just ridiculous on the surface. Pizzagate. I mean, just just crazy. But you also talk about the fact that, you know, we still don't know everything that happened on nine eleven twenty one 21 years yeah. later, especially when it comes to our good friend, the Saudis. And it's hard to not speculate that that's very deliberate that we don't know more.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that um, the powers that be have done, anybody involved in these conspiracies, is use, you know, the most sort of fringe extremist element of any kind of um, investigatory citizen movement seeking to find the truth, um, you know, the way they pilloried the 9 11 truthers, and again, used Alex Jones as an exemplification of them when a lot of the times it was just genuinely concerned citizens who wanted more information about say um you know the saudi regime's involvement or or details of the attacks it was not always like the mechanics of it which is the kind of thing that got emphasized in the media and the same thing uh happens now with a lot of modern conspiracies you know with, with the epstein case with a lot of kind of transnational um linked elements and you know what's remarkable to me is that there was a sort of brief time where uh moeller of all people was speaking about exactly this about how the greatest threat to western democracy was transnational organized crime how it had become amorphous how you see it in That's corporations right. you see it infiltrating you know governments etc he was not called a conspiracy theorist for this you know he was thanked for his uh great observations he first then followed through on none of them um in practice and all these individuals are running around but yeah i mean i think nine eleven is a great example because we were trained as a society, that it is very unpatriotic and paranoid and somewhat evil to question the official narrative of 9-11, even though we know a lot of information was withheld from us that the 9-11 commission did not um, you know, give this information yeah. in, in its entirety to the public. Bush and, you know, and we're, Cheney we're
3: refused that. to testify under oath. Bush and Cheney refused to testify under oath. And Bush would only do it if he could be not under oath and have Cheney sitting next to him. And this was deemed acceptable at the time.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, in hindsight, now everybody recognizes the lies that led us to the war in Iraq. And I think they also recognize, you know, the prelude of the culture of fear that was created to condition citizens to accept those lies. In 20, you know, 2003, 2004, when the commission was working and the hearings were being held, I think there's still a culture of timidity, um, you know, in uh, challenging that and in digging further. And then you also saw, the same thing you see now, like a media apparatus who really um, strongly attacks any ordinary person who wants to dig deeper and labels them as some sort of, you know, psychotic or uh, hostile or even dangerous individual yes. and then sort of looks to you know walking straw men like like alex jones to say oh you're like that and then today the version is oh you're one of those QAnon types you're one of those pizzagate types like i get that thrown at me all the time even though you know yeah. i don't have things in common with them beyond a desire to find out the truth and you know in the case of QAnon honestly they were much more on the ball with something like jeffrey epstein which the mainstream media would not touch Correct. um than others and that's unfortunate because it gives them this veneer Of legitimacy, people are like, "Hey, they were actually right about that whole thing." I wonder what else they're right about. And then with their claiming election fraud and that we should go storm the Capitol, a lot of reasonable people think, "Huh, you know, maybe they're not that far off after all." I'm very frustrated with what's going on. Maybe I should get in on that. You know, that's that's how this works. It's never completely true or completely false. Like the best propaganda you know, has a grain of truth and in a morass of lies. That is why it's so effective. And, um, you know, a lot of very corrupt individuals in our society understand that tactic very well.
3: Well, there's a very thick dividing line between asking unpleasant questions and then deciding you have the answer and pushing it. And I think that's the difference between you and some of the charming folks we're talking about here, Uh, which brings us to Mr. Epstein, since you mentioned him. I mean, I know as many people on the left as on the right who do not believe he took his own life, yet that's perceived as being a right-wing thing. Um, what, what made you want to cover Jeffrey Epstein, and what kind of insights did your research give you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've unfortunately been covering him for about, I don't know, six to seven years. I wrote about him in Hiding in Plain Sight. When mm-hmm. I was writing Hiding in Plain Sight, uh, he was arrested as I was writing about him, and then he, quote-unquote, committed suicide, and I had to rewrite those chapters, but... You know he's not just or you know was i guess not just a uh you know child predator rapist trafficker he was highly involved in espionage and so was Elaine maxwell his partner and so was her father robert maxwell who was a Mossad agent uh linked to the russian mafia linked to soviet officials uk officials u.s officials really like another transnational yeah. actor and so you know that's a very Con- complicated story. It is laid out in great detail in hiding plain sight and in somewhat lesser detail. And they knew, um, you know, it, it was horrifying to me. I, I didn't enjoy writing about him at all because the case is so awful. But when he uh, was proclaimed dead, There was suddenly this deluge of stories about him all of these powerful people and all these journalists that had been withholding information about the case released it all at once in this sort of overwhelming tide and as that was happening of course the actual court cases involving him and his victims which is the most important part of this were cancelled and those victims did not see justice and the men who were the rapists um, just walked free and were never held accountable but i think he's key to understanding a lot of what is not a lot of what is well yeah a fair amount of what is happening because he was involved in blackmail operations and he was you know very well um insulated within the highest levels of elite actors in the world you know of course. prince andrew you know ehud Barak. you know and, and in terms of people who weren't accused of rape, but they're still in proximity to him. You know, Bill Clinton, all these, um, you know, all of these leaders over multiple decades and Ghislaine Maxwell as well. So it's a big deal. You would think folks would talk about it. It's also a story in a perverse, horrible way. Jeffrey Epstein is what's holding this country together. Because as you said, from left to right, everyone hates him. Everyone wants to know what actually happened. Basically, no one trusts the official narrative. And we all kind of see all these different people, you know, who are implicated. In the plot, and then we also notice, wow, none of our officials want to go there. Whether it's the Trump no administration uh, and Bill Barr, whose father of first hired Epstein, or That's the exactly Biden right. administration, none of them want to deal with this. So that to me is fairly striking. Because you think, well, you- if it's unrelated to what you're doing, then what's the problem? It's a massive criminal case. Uh, so you know, you should feel. really get on that. They want to let it go. So.
3: I, I don't know if we're ever going to know. It while while uh, let's just take two random names, uh, Donald Trump and Bill Clinton are still alive. Yes, I think someday we might. I, I, I was curious, really quick, why why you wanted to include Oliver North in the book? I love that you did because he still doesn't get enough attention to me.
2: Yeah, he's in there. Well, Iran Contra. Uh, if you go to Iran Contra, that is the model yeah. of what we're That's seeing. My today. So you- That's my obsession.
3: That's my obsession.
2: Oh, same, same. <laughs> like and people keep Seriously. bringing up Watergate, which is the wrong way to look at it, because first of all, we actually scandal. got some answers Tiny with Watergate. Scandal. I,
3: I ruined tundra. parties. I ruined parties over I Iran did too. I ruined like, sleepover they parties armed in both sides school. of the Iran Iraq war. They were arming both sides of the war, you idiots. And yet I was a teenager and I was obsessed with it, and I still am and I still bore people.
2: Yeah, I ruined a sleepover party in fourth grade. Like I was that annoying person reading like Spy magazine and like telling everybody all about it. And like, because yeah. it's like the hydra, you know, it, it's the octopus. It involves so many countries and so many horrific people who are still running around today. You know, Bill Barr was the cover-up general for Iran. People like Elliot Abrams got reinserted into multiple administrations. And the thing is, like there was no justice. There were hearings, they were unrepentant. Somebody like Oliver North never apologized, showed no shame. That was the model of what was to come. And what was remarkable to me now is how much is buried. How many times I've had to explain what a Ron Contra even was to somebody my age or younger, because it's just memory hold, not taught in school. Folks don't know about it. And it is the most similar thing I've seen to what is happening with corruption within the Trump administration, including relationships with Russia, Israel, Saudi Arabia, etc Um and, you know, in part because the tentacles are are so vast and they, you know, they go all over the place. It's so convoluted and it's hard to explain. But also there are a yeah. lot of recurring characters. And so yeah, I encourage everybody to look at the kind of nexus of people um that were involved in Iran Contra, which includes Robert Maxwell, it included Adnan right. Khashoggi, uh, you know, Jamal Khashoggi's um, you know, I, I believe That's right. Um, Just the same names over and over. And that should give folks pause, you know, Reagan administration,
3: the government of Israel. There's a lot of people going on there. George H.W. Bush. And and, I mean, when you look at the amount of laws that were broken, how sophisticated the project was, how incredibly corrupt and Reagan was just able to come out and say, I don't recall. What I was doing that day and other, you know, I don't recall approving weapons sales to the Iranians who had killed our Marines in Beirut a few months ago, and they all got away clean. Bill Clinton yeah. couldn't pull off a blowjob, but all those criminals got away clean.
2: No, I mean, and it, it raises questions for me, and I'm just gonna say these are not answers i want to be clear as an upstanding conspiracy theorist you know i do wonder about things like (laughs) bill clinton being governor of arkansas when Mena airport was used as a major you know drug running part of of iran contra you know i wonder more about george hw bush as an individual and what exactly his administration did i look at relationships between the u.s and the soviet union as it was collapsing and the beneficiary you know the benefits that went to mafiosos oligarchs plutocrats people adjacent to iran Contra, and so forth like if you look at history recent world history through the lens of iran contra i mean it's a very dark and murky lens but in some senses it's clearer because you see just how deep the corruption can go and that the good guys don't always win a lot of these crimes go unpunished and people live full lives uh facing no repercussions for what they've done and then another generation just picks up where they left off and that's where I think folks need to keep digging. We should yeah, start post hearings again and just go through the decades.
3: Oh, you and I that can run my them. Mind. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm waiting. Listen, Ken Burns is coming back on the show this week. I'm going to beg him to do the Iran Contra film. Oh God! Uh, before I let yes. you go, we've only got a minute left. But I, I, there's a line in here you write about raising kids in this insane world that, that helped me a lot because I've got a ten year old. And you said my children learned early that the world keeps turning as it burns. Kind of makes you sound like an optimist to me. Am I right? It's a
2: double edged sword. I mean, it's, I never want to lie to my kids about what's happening, but the thing is, they're old enough to know it on their own. You know, I have a son who's 11 and a daughter who's 15. Like, they, they see clearly what's happening. Um. Yeah, you know, life goes on and you have to find some sort of comfort and meaning within that life. And, you know, and that, that's not hard. You know, you have love, you have your relationships, you have your imagination, you know, you have wonders of the natural world like there still are so many good things in the world and you know my hope is just that people will recognize them that our kids recognize them and fight harder for them because they value them that it's not some nihilistic nothing means anything kind of uh, sentiment That it really means a lot that's why this is so important it's not an abstract thing like we need to have accountability and justice because there is so much good in the world and so many things to explore and learn and we just want the opportunity you know to be able to do that
3: Sarah Kendzior is one of our favorite guests. We get her about once a year. We're always grateful <laughs> for it. Uh, the new book is They Knew, How a Culture of Conspiracy Keeps America Complacent. And she's also one of the reasons I'm not going to quit Twitter. Thank you for redeeming that site. And thank you so much for being with us this evening. I love your book.
2: Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for having me on again.
3: Anytime we can be a platform for you. We've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-GRIT. I'm John Fiegel saying we are SiriusXM Progress at 866-997-4748. Got so much to get to, so much in the news, but let's go to the phones. Y'all have been on hold for a long time. Teresa in Washington, welcome. Um, hi,
4: hi, John. Uh, hi. Thanks for having Sarah on. She's fantastic. Very She's educated, very... Brilliant. Uh, conspiracy theories, I love them. I've read at least 11 books on uh, 9-11, Inside Job, Oh, wow. I, you know, I, so I'm not the only one that likes this stuff. I read. Well, for me, it was JFK.
3: I, I, I grew up, uh, I got, when I really, when I first read Jim Garrison's On the Trail of the Assassins, um, it much more convincing than the Oliver Stone movie. And uh, it, it, since then, it's always been like, when people don't get adequate answers, you have to expect this sort of thing to happen.
4: Yeah. So, so anyway, my library's fantastic. They do not ban books. They're the only thing that I pay taxes for that I consider worth it. And, <laughs> and anyway, I read, I got a, a movie from them about King Charles. King Charles dissolved Parliament over a, a privacy rights bill. And and I'm like, I was so confused by this movie because I'm like, King Charles, don't they have a queen and and so I never knew whether it was a, one of those Hallmark movies. And um, was Charles I never it was knew the previous. It was the previous was King Charles,
3: right? It was the previous King Charles did what? that, right?
4: No, no, I thought it was this one, Queen Elizabeth's oh. son.
3: Oh, I know yeah, that Charles I, II I, dissolved Parliament because he wanted to be a, a, an emperor and he ruled without it. But that was like in the 1600s. Oh no,
4: no, no! This was the current
3: Charles. Oh, okay.
4: And I and I <laughs> I was like. He's not hes not a king yet, so I was very confused by this movie, and I was like, is this real, or is this just some Hollywood stuff?
3: Huh. Well, maybe it's a confusion. Maybe it's, you know, with a little bit of information. Maybe somebody told somebody told somebody that King Charles II dissolved Parliament, and they decided that meant this guy's trying to do it. I mean, that's how these things work, right? A lot of gullibility, a little bit of ignorance, and a lot of chutzpah.
4: Yeah, I just never, uh, you know, the royals and stuff never really interested me enough to to um, go research it. But <laughs> I was very impressed by uh, his conviction. I was like, I, I didn't think royals had any conviction,
3: you know. A few of them should have some
4: convictions.
3: Yeah, by the way, we can think of a couple of royals that need to be convicted.
1: And and if uh, and if King Charles really wanted to dissolve parliament he probably should use hydrofluoric acid.
4: <laughs> uh, uh, uh. I think he just said that they couldn't meet in the building that they usually meet in the Oh
3: well, anyone but, who can make I'm, this guy con, anyone who can make this guy interesting will be great for me. I I, I anyone who can make this Charles <laughs> controversial, I'm I'm all for it cuz this is a guy who the most controversial thing he ever did was, you know, marry the woman he loved. So, um, you know, we'll see, but it's going to keep on happening. We should expect it. Are you are you a you're not a fan of the Royals at all, right? Not your thing?
4: Not really, but um, you know, people in their love lives, I kind of, you know, don't like hmm. throwing stones because, like, Same. I'm like, I've done a lot of shitty stuff and.
3: Oh, I'm, depra- I'm, I'm depraved. I don't get. I don't get to judge Charles. <laughs> if anything, I judge. I judge the 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 cult he was raised in, the the bubble he was raised in. Where like everyone can know that he's been in love with this one girl his whole life, and they, and, but she married someone else. So they say, okay, you have to marry this other girl that you don't love. I mean, I, I I feel bad for Diana. I always did. But a part of me always felt bad for Charles, too. He didn't have the tools to fight back and try to just marry who he loved. And if anything, I'm glad he yeah. finally did, because he's been with Camilla for 17 years. He's really married to her, but he's really loved her for what, like half a century? It, clearly, they should have left Diana alone, and this should have been the woman he was able to be with. And it shows how we've grown up as a culture, not just that... We get over these hangups about divorce, which is why his uncle had to abdicate, but also these hangups about adultery that we have forgiven. We saw it with the, the, the Bill Clinton scandal as well. I mean, different generations will forgive people because they've realized, oh, you know, I'm no better than you.
4: Yeah, I always like I've gone out with a married man before. And I was like, uh, when I found out he was married, I kicked him to the curb because I I'm like, well, you're cheating on.
3: Whoa, he didn't tell cheating.
4: you. I mean, how did you? You're how did you find out? On me.
3: How did you find out?
4: A friend told me we went on a skiing trip, and a, a friend of my brother's uh, said he knew him and that he was married. And I was like, "I've been with this guy for two years, and I didn't know he was
3: married." Whoa, you, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa! You buried the lead, my dear. You were dating him for two years. Did he just uh-huh. not invite you over? His, did he just not never invite you over his house? I'm I'm very curious. How did he keep it a secret from you for that long?
4: He was some uh international importer who was always uh traveling around and
3: Oh. Wow. <laughs> Charles Carroll? <Kuralt? laughs> Charles Carroll was a fine man, sir. Didn't do that sort of thing. Wow. So when you finally confronted him, what did he say? This is such a story.
4: Uh yeah, he's married, but he's not happy and <laughs> <laughs> That's not Neither my were problem. you. What are you sucking me into your life for?
3: Wow, amazing! What a story. Well, you deserve better. I'm glad you got rid of that one.
4: Yep, certainly do. I'm by myself and very happy, and I masturbate all the time.
3: Well, that that is exactly as much information <laughs> as I need. Not a not a not too much, not too less. That was great. <laughs> well, I I what I, okay, I'd like bye. to bye-bye yeah and i'm sorry andrew's taken he's not free either um how do you follow that one